And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happelthumper. Uh, good to see you, my friend. We're going to be talking today with an old friend. Uh, you're no, he's an old friend of yours, too, I think. Uh, you knew Elias uh, from the Red Pill Expo we did uh, five years ago in uh, Spokane, Washington. You yeah. got a chance to meet Elias there and visit with him. And uh, one thing about Elias... Uh, well, there's a lot of things about Elias, but something that I really appreciate is the fact that this guy doesn't know uh, a box that doesn't need to be opened. And he doesn't understand any idea in any way that uh, there are such uh, absolute truths that we shouldn't at least explore them and find out uh, if, in fact, everything is the way it appears. Now, I'm not talking in a biblical sense, but I am talking. But actually, maybe in that sense, too, Elias feels that way. But uh, uh, also, I, I think mainly from a law enforcement, a, a U.S. government, a world government, a un an understanding of exactly how corrupt and evil this system has turned out to be and how totally it is against the American people at this point in time. And we're going to be talking today, Elias, uh, we're going to be talking today about the weaponization of the FBI. This isn't something new. I had a, a listener contact me and said, how did this uh, FBI stuff, when did this get started uh, why is it so uh, much in the news now? And truth is, is the FBI was weaponized from the time it was created. And uh, J. Edgar Hoover was one of the crookedest characters around and certainly one of the most corrupt, but it uh, has gone downhill for a long time. We're going to be talking about the death, the assassination of Lavoy Fenneken. But we're also going to mention a few things like uh, the Branch Davidians, the Waco tragedy, the way those people were incinerated, uh, and how 
that and uh, Randy and Vicki Weaver and some of the other things that we've come to know as uh, really, really nasty programs the FBI were involved in, uh, those are things that have been happening for a long time. So Americans don't think for one second that this expose by uh, the House Select Committee on the Weaponization of Government is something that's brand new. And used far and wide on the internet to justify the killing of Lavoy Finicum and to make the case that Lavoy Finicum had a death wish and intended to die in a gunfight with the FBI. Here I will analyze this interview and I will come to a different conclusion. This interview will not only reveal the plot to murder Lavoy Finicum, but it will also reveal the motive. Tony, what's the situation there now? Lawrence, I'm here with Lavoy Finnegan. He's a 55-year-old uh, rancher from Arizona, father of 11, uh, and he says he believes there's a warrant out for his arrest, and he does not uh, anticipate respecting that warrant. He's got a gun here under the blanket, and Lavoy, why don't you tell us uh, what your plan is? Um, well, let's, first of all, let, let's, let's get a little bit of things um, out here in front. The information may or may not be accurate, but it appeared to be be highly credible that five warrants were issued for arrest for for me, for Ammon Bundy, for Ryan Bundy, and I'm not sure for the other two, and for, by the FBI, uh, federal warrants. And so, so if that is true, if that is the case, I do not want the the FBI federal agents have to go running around in the dark, kicking in doors, looking for me. Okay, I want them to know exactly where I'm at. There is a problem right at the start. There never was an arrest warrant for Lavoy. Tony DeCopel should not have used Lavoy as a source for this information. He should have verified this information with the FBI and Oregon State Police. In a later statement, Tony uses weasel words to distance himself from the arrest warrant claim. Let's presume that if there's not already a warrant out for your arrest, you are breaking the law occupying this federal property. So perhaps at some point there will certainly be a warrant. This indicates that Tony knows that there is no arrest warrant, but is continuing to create the appearance of an arrest warrant in his interview. And isn't it true that they didn't actually have a warrant for him at the time that they set up those roadblocks? Correct. There were no warrants for any of the individuals. They didn't receive the warrants until the very next day, and they excluded the warrant for my husband because he had already been murdered by that point. As Jeanette Finnicum stated, Lavoie's name is not listed on the arrest warrant, and it was not filed until the day after Lavoie was killed. There was no arrest warrant for Lavoie. Of the 13 questions or comments made by Tony DeCopel, Three referred to an arrest warrant that did not exist. Five of the questions explicitly used the word die or death. So you're prepared to die. Better dead than in a cell. And so you're out here prepared to die and who's got a death wish. And you've got a death wish. Is it gonna but you're prepared to die. Lavoy, on the other hand, only uses the word death once. I have no death wish. I love life. And all of the questions imply either Lavoy will fight the FBI or die or both. Tony had a single agenda, to get Lavoy to incriminate himself and provide justification for the murder of Lavoy. Next, I will show just the questions asked by Tony DeCopel so you can see Tony's agenda. 
Lawrence, I'm here with Lavoy Finnegan. He's a 55-year-old uh, rancher from Arizona, father of 11, uh, and he says he believes there's a warrant out for his arrest, and he does not uh, anticipate respecting that warrant. He's got a gun here under the blanket. And Lavoy, why don't you tell us uh, what your plan is? So if they come here with a, an arrest warrant, they try to put cuffs on you, what's your plan? What do you think they're going to do, and what are you prepared to do? Let's presume that they're not. Let's presume that if there's not already a warrant out for your arrest, you are breaking the law occupying this federal property. So perhaps at some point there will certainly be a warrant. When that warrant comes down, when that arrest comes, what do you tend to do in response? So to avoid getting in that box, you're ready to do what? If they come here and try to arrest you, they yes. point a gun at you, they try to put cuffs on you, how far are you willing to take this? So you're prepared to die, better dead than in a cell. And so you're out here prepared to die over what principle exactly? Legal government, okay? There, there's a man over our shoulder here with a bulletproof vest on and an assault rifle, and there are two pieces of construction equipment that uh, have been moved. Uh, the people who move them say they're for protection. There's something to shoot behind. Um, how well armed and how well prepared are you in there? You've got a family. I do. Have you said goodbye to them? Have you told them to prepare? You know, there are people who are watching this who are going to say to themselves, this man's a terrorist who's <laughs> occupied uh, someone else's property and who's got a death wish. Evidently, that's one of your fans. Uh, there are people who are watching this who, who would say to themselves, you're a terrorist, uh, yes. you've occupied land that's not your own, and, uh, and you've got a death wish. There's a gun over your lap and you're asking for it. Okay, 19 and 2 on the way, so yes. you've got something to live with, I but, have something uh, to live but you're prepared to die. Okay, Lawrence, Tony, that's Tony, the best you, word here. Tony, uh, back Tony to you. could you just ask him uh, what his reaction is to the Mormon church condemning his actions there? Yes. Uh, uh, Lavoy, what's your reaction to the Mormon church, your Mormon, uh, yes. condemning your actions here and the actions of your colleagues? Yeah. All right, Lawrence, back to you. Tony DeGopal, thank you very much. We'll be, we'll be right back. During the interview, Lavoy did fall into Tony's trap and said some things that could be considered incriminating. Here is the sequence that is incriminating to Lavoy. So if they come here with a, an arrest warrant and they try to put cuffs on you, what's your plan? Well, they're, they're not going to just come up with a guy holding a rifle and put cuffs on him, okay? They, they're, they're not going to do that. What do you think they're going to do and what are you prepared to do? Well, I hope that they go home. That's what I hope they do. Let's presume that they're not. Let's presume that if there's not already a warrant out for your arrest, you are breaking the law occupying this federal property. So perhaps at some point there will certainly be a warrant. When that warrant comes down, when that arrest comes, what do you tend to do in response? I have been raised in the country all my life. I love dearly to feel the wind on my face, to see the sunrise, to, to see the moon in the night. I have no intention of spending any of my days in a concrete box. And so I will, whatever days, and I believe that there'll be many, and, uh, and hopefully prosperous days to come, but I will spend them riding my horses, trying to take care of my cows, and that's what I will do. Um, but I will not spend it in a box. So to avoid getting in that box, you're ready to do what? You guys have so many hypotheticals. <laughs> if they come here and try to arrest you, they yes. point a gun at you, they try to put cuffs on you, how far are you willing to take this? Well, don't point a gun at me. You don't point a gun at somebody unless you're going to shoot them. That, that's the first thing your thought is, yeah, don't point guns at people. And so 
I'm telling them right now, don't point guns at me. So you're prepared to die. Better dead than in a cell. Uh, Absolutely. You, Dude, would you like to be in a cell? Nobody wants to live their, live their life in a cell. Absolutely, I'm not going to live my life in a cell. Hey. The most incriminating statements that Lavoie made were these. I have no intention of spending any of my days in a concrete box. Uh, Absolutely. Dude, would you like to be in a cell? Nobody wants to live their, live their life in a cell. Absolutely, I'm not going to live my life in a cell. Many in the mainstream news media have taken this to mean that Lavoie has a death wish. When you hear Lavoie's comments independent of Tony DeCopel's words, they do not sound so bad. It is Tony that inserted the most offensive statements about death in order to spin Lavoie's words. There is another interpretation of the statement, I'm not going to live in a cell, that must be considered. In this country, we have the principle of innocent until proven guilty. Lavoie may believe that he has not broken the law and will eventually win if this goes to court. If this sounds far-fetched, then recognize that the other people who were arrested and pleaded innocent were found innocent of all the charges. Specifically, Ryan Bundy and Shauna Cox defended themselves in a court that showed extreme bias against them and won their case. It is very likely that Lavoie would also have won in court for the same reason and would not have lived in a cell because his legal theory was correct. Later, I will show that the government's actions indicate that they also believe that Lavoie's legal theory is correct. Here are some questions that show clearly how Tony is trying to put words into Lavoie's mouth and force the issue of Lavoie dying. So to avoid getting in that box, you're ready to do what? You guys have so many hypotheticals. Even if Lavoie talks about his family, Tony spins it into Lavoie dying. You've got a family. I do. Have you said goodbye to them? Have you told them to prepare for the no, worst? No, I haven't told them to prepare. You've got a death wish. There's a gun over your lap and you're asking for it. I have no death wish. I love life. I have 20 grandkids. Actually, I have 19 and two on the way. Okay, 19 and two on the way. So yes. you've got something to live with, I but, have something uh, to live but for. you're prepared to die. I'm prepared to defend freedom. Okay. There is one charge that everyone should agree is reasonable, and that is trespassing. If there's not already a warrant out for your arrest, you are breaking the law occupying this federal property. So perhaps at some point there will certainly be a warrant. However, the arrest warrant obtained after Lavoie's murder does not list trespassing at all. Instead, it lists a ridiculous conspiracy charge that the federal government failed to prove in court. Since the federal government usually stacks as many charges as they can, the absence of a trespassing charge is remarkable. Furthermore, if they want to get the occupiers off the land, a trespassing charge is the most logical first step. The only reason that the federal government would not charge them with trespassing is that they could not prove trespassing. And the only reason that the federal government could not prove trespassing is if they did not lawfully own the land. This is what Lavoie Finnicum and Ammon Bundy were claiming from the start. Did, did the federal government do anything to prove ownership? She said this, that it doesn't that it doesn't have any impact on the charges. So we're not going to argue whether that's what it was. 
and because they charge us for conspiracy to impede federal officers through threat, intimidation, and force. That was the charge. And so she said that, you know, the jurisdiction over the land had no, uh, you know, bearing on this trial. Because see, every time we've gone into a federal court and begin to argue the jurisdiction, they won't have that argument. They'll either say, you know, that argument's moot, or they'll just say that doesn't pertain to the charges. What we were trying to do also at the refuge was provoke a trespass charge. Clearly you were expecting a, a legal confrontation. Yeah, we how were did trying you, to how provoke. How did you hope that would go well, down? Well, how would you hope? We, it would have to be a trespass charge, right? We weren't doing anything else except just being there occupying. We weren't hurting anybody. We weren't threatening anybody. None of that. All that was a lie. You know, but they did not want to have that argument, so they did not charge us with trespassing. Because a trespassing charge would have been like a misdemeanor or something. Okay. I wouldn't have been thrown in prison for two years, Right. you know, while I was trying to fight these charges. It would have been something I could have done while outside. I could have got thousands, tens of thousands of people behind me. We're going to charge us with trespassing, and then we're going to fight the trespass charges with all the proof that we have that the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge was taken, uh, you know, unethically, unlawfully, that they didn't have jurisdiction. But they knew we were going to make that argument. They didn't want to have that argument. So they just made up all this threat, intimidation, force. And that's part of where the media came in. You know, saying that we were these armed, you know, occupiers and that we were, you know, impeding and threatening federal officers. It was all a lie. It was all so that they didn't have to have the argument of jurisdiction. Ammon Bundy and Lavoie Finnicum believe that the federal government does not lawfully own the land at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge and that Oregon is the rightful owner. They are trying to provoke a trespass charge so that they can argue the issue of ownership in court. Suppose first that Ammon Bundy and Lavoie Finnicum are wrong. What should happen? The FBI should get an arrest warrant for trespassing. The government should easily prove trespassing in court. Ammon Bundy and Lavoie Finnicum would voluntarily go to court because this is what they want. The federal government would then present evidence to show that they own the land. They would win in court, settling the issue of ownership. However, none of this happened. The survivors were not charged with trespassing. No arrest warrant was obtained for Lavoie, and the government avoided addressing the issue of ownership in court, never proving ownership. Now suppose that Ammon Bundy and Lavoie Finnicum are correct and the federal government does not lawfully own the land. The federal government could not charge them with trespassing. In fact, they would not have broken any laws by being on the wildlife refuge, and the FBI would not be able to get a warrant, except possibly on made-up charges. The federal government would avoid the issue of ownership at all costs. This is what happened. This is a match. In addition, the FBI created the illusion of an arrest warrant through PSYOPs with Tony DeCopel, and they put bogus charges on the arrest warrant after the murder. There was an absence of real charges. And the FBI had to wait for Lavoie to leave the refuge for the ambush. To be clear, this does not prove that Ammon and Lavoie are correct. That would have to be decided in court. 
All this proves is that the government attorneys believe that Ammon and Lavoy are correct, because the actions of the federal government are consistent with not having ownership of the land. There are two main points that Tony is presenting to us in this interview. There is an arrest warrant for Lavoy, and Lavoy has a death wish. The existence of an arrest warrant was false, and the death wish came from Tony's words and not from Lavoy. Since these statements were factually incorrect, and these statements could easily have been checked, and these statements were not checked, and there is evidence that Tony knew these statements were false, Tony DeCopel has earned MSNBC the title of fake news. This interview was spread by many sources with a heavy spin on Lavoie dying, spinning his words into things that he never said. This PSYOP was not only used to spin public opinion, it was also used on the Oregon State Police to radicalize them into killing Lavoie. Officer 2 describes watching a video about Lavoie Finnicum that fits the description of this video. I had seen videos in which he stated that he wasn't going to go to prison and didn't plan on being taken alive. Later, Officer 2 states, I got on the radio and informed the team to the north, we are going to have to shoot him. Later, Officer 2 states, My scope just came up and was right in the middle of the back of Mr. Finnicum, and I squeezed off a single round. Watching this video influenced Officer 2 to make a premature decision to kill Lavoie, and he then fired one of the three shots into Lavoie's back, which killed him. It was also testified to at that point that officer number two who had fired that round into the vehicle radioed ahead to officer number one that was waiting at the kill stop about a mile ahead. And he says, we're gonna have to kill Finnecum. Why? Why would an officer radio ahead to another officer stating that we're, they're gonna have to kill Finnecum at that point? What did he do? Was there a warrant for his arrest? No. Had he broken any laws? No. And you will hear in part two how they admit to them not breaking any laws, that there were no state laws broken, that there were no federal laws that they knew of that they had broken, that they, Washington was trying to come up with some. Since January 2nd, the FBI has worked in partnership with Harney County and our law enforcement partners across the state to resolve the situation at the refuge. Since that time, hundreds and hundreds of FBI employees traveled to Burns with the sole purpose of bringing this situation to a peaceful conclusion. Now we will look at the timeline of the events. On January 2nd, the operation started. On January 6th, the interview with Tony DeCoppel was released. On January 26th, Lavoie was killed. On January 27th, an arrest warrant was issued for the survivors. The interview with Tony DeCoppel was released very early in the operation. This suggests that the murder of Lavoie was plan A. This was not a secondary plan or an afterthought or an accident. The primary reason for the hundreds and hundreds of agents was to kill Lavoie. What other tasks might these hundreds and hundreds of agents had? Before the murder, nobody got an arrest warrant. Nobody attempted to prove that the federal government lawfully owned the land at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. Nobody attempted to fight the adverse possession claim. Nobody attempted to file trespassing charges against the occupiers. These were all things that logically should have been done. Apparently, 
Nearly all of these hundreds and hundreds of agents were there to kill Lavoie. This, this operation, obviously, was, the intent was to arrest the leadership of the um, group that was occupying the refuge. Although the intent to arrest is refuted by the lack of an arrest warrant, we can assume that the remaining statement is true, that the FBI was targeting the leadership of the occupation. The information that Lavoie repeated in the interview was clearly false and was planted information. However, it will tell us who the FBI perceived as the leadership and who they saw as a threat. The information may or may not be accurate, but it appeared to be, be highly credible that five warrants were issued for our arrest for, for me, for Ammon Bundy, for Ryan Bundy, and I'm not sure for the other two. There already was a pending case against Ammon and Ryan Bundy for the events in Bunkerville. Because Lavoie was the only one of these three that the FBI did not have a way to take down, Lavoie was the natural target of this assassination. It is interesting to note that Lavoie was not targeted for being guilty. Lavoie was specifically targeted for being innocent. Because of Lavoie's innocence, the FBI had no other way to take down Lavoie other than to kill him. So the, uh, the concept of the operation was approved by myself, but it was a, um, briefed both up through the Oregon State chain and through the um, federal government FBI chain. So uh, they were aware of that at the highest levels at the FBI and also within the state of government, uh, state of Oregon government. Now I will summarize the motives for the assassination of Lavoie Finicum. Lavoie was one of three people identified as leaders. Of these three people, Lavoie was the only one that the FBI had no other way to take down. To get the occupiers off of the refuge without proving ownership of the refuge, the FBI killed Lavoie to terrorize the remaining occupiers into leaving the refuge. The FBI needed a diversion large enough to overshadow the issues of jurisdiction and ownership of the land. If the FBI failed and was forced to fight the issue of ownership of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in court, the federal government believed that it would lose, and the BLM would lose control of vast amounts of land when it returned to state control. Next, I will summarize the motives of the Tony DeCopel PSYOP. This PSYOP created the illusion of an arrest warrant in the public view in place of a real arrest warrant. This PSYOP provided propaganda to vilify Lavoie in the public view, preparing their minds to accept and approve of the murder of Lavoie. This PSYOP provided propaganda to radicalize the Oregon State Police, who were used as patsies in the murder of Lavoie Finicum. Lavoie was the specific target of an assassination that was premeditated and was planned before January 6, 2016, which is 20 days before Lavoie was killed by the FBI. The interview by Tony DeCopel was a media psyop intended to create the illusion of an arrest warrant, to spin public opinion against Lavoie, and to gain public approval of the murder of Lavoie Finicum. The FBI murdered Lavoie Finicum to keep the issue of jurisdiction of the wildlife refuge out of the courts. With I what, have something uh, to live but for. But you're prepared to die. With I what, have uh, something to live but for. But you're prepared to die. With I what, have something uh, to live for. But you're prepared to die. With I what, have something uh, to live for. But you're prepared to die. With I what, have something uh, to live for. But you're prepared to die. With I what, have uh, something to live for. Okay. <clears throat> 
Thumper, that uh, thank you for that. Uh, all right, Elias. Um, it looks like we didn't. You didn't get the, the video thing resolved completely, but that's okay. We, you know, we're bringing up Lavoie Finicum because this is something that you work very, very long and hard with uh, Jeanette Finicum and with people that were uh, also at Malheur, and you're very familiar with the whole issue. I had Shauna Cox on several times. Uh, on my program to talk about Malheur and the uh, assassination of Lavoie Finnicum. And it was obvious by the the fact that they shot up the truck. They they intended to get rid of Lavoie, but it looked an awful lot like they were trying to get rid of everybody in there in that truck. And no one in that vehicle ever fired a shot back. Uh, this was a complete setup from day one. Uh, let's let's leave it from there and go ahead. Uh, tell our listeners uh, exactly how you have been working with uh, Jeanette Finnicum and how you tried to help get this information out to people. Well, I don't even know where to start. Uh, somebody created that video you just showed. And purported, purportedly, the guy who said he created it gave it to me, along with uh, actually 10 others. And each of them is, is detailed and well thought and well portrayed as this one was, some even better. And the fellow that gave me these videos I have been to his channel, and he could not possibly have made them. Now, I would like to put a a uh, probable or possible scenario in front of you, Dan. Somebody that is on the side of the Constitution working inside a federal agency has made these videos. There's somebody that actually wants to preserve our country, our culture, our way of life, and the freedoms that our Constitution is supposed to protect, who mm -hmm. produced these videos. I do know the guy that made the videos or claimed or gave them to me, mm -hmm. that guy could not possibly have made these videos. Another thing about him is I have introduced him to Jeanette Pinnacombe in person twice and he's a very uh, well-mannered very amiable gentleman and a good a good guy but he was a cutout for whoever inside our intelligence community wanted this information shared to the public mm -hmm. so all of these videos they're all listed there on, on my rumble channel they have been disappeared off of Brighteon. They've been disappeared off of BitChute. They are on my channel because they're buried under so many others. I guess the crawlers don't see them, but they're just newly posted on Rumble because they're extremely important. Governing the perception of the public collective consciousness is one of the biggest objectives of our federal weaponized apparatus. 
I think anybody could agree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, in my book, we go into all kinds of evidence showing that the Pentagon, various public, uh, excuse me, various um, agencies and departments in our government are keenly interested in the perception that you and I and our good neighbors have. They want to manipulate our perception for the benefit of preferred plans, preferred dialogues, preferred activities that continue the growth and consolidation of government, the increasing in the budgets, and this, the, well, just the further consolidation of power. And, and Elias, I'm going to add something to that. That is not just in the United States of America. This is a move to move America into a global uh, governance institution. This is to end our Constitution as we know it and as it was originally framed by the founders and move, move us into a... Uh, a technocratic, feudalistic, Marxist system that they want to use to literally control everyone from cradle to grave and completely control humanity in a way that is inconceivable unless you understand how diabolical the plan is. Amen to that, Dan. There's... there's Something came out two days ago from the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with those boards. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very interesting how they are headquartered in Switzerland, created in 1930, but headquartered in Switzerland, but they have, uh, they have some protections which requires that the Italian government, if it wants to come look at the BIS, has to get their permission to come onto their property. The Italian government, it's the same thing with Washington, D.C., City of London Financial District, and the Vatican. Inside of nations, there are these pockets of hidden powers that require the government of the nation in which they're planted actually has to request permission to get into their business, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so that's one thing. Now, what the BIS has just come out and said, they have introduced in a major PDF the concept of tokens, and their plan is to unify all digital currencies for all central banks all around the planet and have one. It'll be, of course, AI, algorithm-operated, uh, high-tech, extremely high-tech stuff to know what you buy, anything you buy, uh, control your money, your spending, everything about your activities as a person. And the BIS actually is bragging now they can do this very shortly. So 
coming back down to our local thing, the, the move to move America into this one world government is, is being facilitated from within our own departments and agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, when the FBI, uh, <laughs> you know, in my book, I mentioned, and, and that book was published uh, at the end of October, 1st of November last year, before the Twitter releases. But I mentioned in there and quoted uh, Dr. Robert Malone, where he had done some research. The FBI was already known to me to be managing the content or assisting in managing the content on social media for the for purpose of manipulating the perception of the public. So it's extremely fascinating to me how the Pentagon's unconventional warfare psychological operations and literally named Mind War programs are ushered out of the Pentagon into our Department of Justice, our Department of Homeland Security, all of these other agencies and departments and offices, and almost 2,000, this is from the Washington Post itself, almost 2,000, over 1,900 private sector corporations are contracting with the Department of Justice, with DHS, with the Pentagon on psychological operations for the American people as a target. Uh -huh. that, that Dana Priest and Bill Arkin wrote the book, Top Secret America. The Washington Post paid them for two years to put together the materials that went into that book. They, they created an entire subsection on the Washington Post website and was up there for several years, and I was linking to it on articles I was posting at Oath Keepers. I have some of those articles preserved. But when Bezos bought the Washington Post, oh my goodness, that whole subsection disappeared. And I got in touch with uh, Mr. Aftergood at the Federation of American Scientists, and we together went digging around to see if we could go in the archives of the Wayback Machine world and find that website because it was hugely, hugely revelatory about what I just said. Over 1,900 private sector corporations and companies contracting with our government for psychological operations for the purpose of manipulating what you and I see and think and how we're going to consequently act in running our lives. It's just incredible. Mm -hmm. So the FBI had this keen interest about LaVoy Pinnacle because LaVoy, and by the way, that man had a perfect criminal record, which was zero. Zero, yeah. He yeah. never even had a parking ticket Excuse me, he never had a speeding ticket. So, I mean, the man had never had any trouble with the law. He, he was immaculate. And all these guys were, were trying to do was, they, they were trying to 
preserve the spirit in which the U.S. Constitution was created. Mm-hmm. The founders, that what the founders saw as major objectives in composing this this uh, Constitution, and uh, well, and to to further illuminate that a little bit. Just a few weeks ago, I had a very nice hour-long conversation with Clyman Bundy. And I would contacted his son, Hammond, trying to get an answer to one of my questions that I really had to know before I published something. And that was, did Clyman Bundy actually try to pay grazing fees? And Hammond went ahead and just asked his dad to call me. So Clyman called me, and we talked. There is something in, in some circles is known as the equal footing rule. Doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the idea was any territory that is going to be made into a state or brought into the Union as a state would be brought in under equal footing with the original 13 colonies. That's right. And Clive and Bundy's a big uh, he's an advocate for that, and so am I. The, when, when I look at the problems confronting Americans today, not only is big tech out, scientifically out of its mind and, and beyond control. I mean, you know about chat GPT, right? So all of that's going on, but we have so many other problems that foreign policy, for instance, why in the name of it, does somebody in our government think our constitution requires the U.S. government to be involved in a proxy war in Ukraine or any of the other damn wars that they've had ever since World War II? Mm-hmm. Undeclared militations around the world with absolutely no constitutional basis. In fact, absolutely violating the nature and intent of our Constitution to do that. And why are they doing it? Military-industrial complex. That's a huge driver on Wall Street. And Wall Street, uh, of course, they got to keep growing or they go the other way. So, it, it, you know, we're looking at some pretty serious problems. And I, I really don't have solutions to a lot of them other than Ron Paul was right. <laughs> we need to put the Constitution back in place. Right, right. Yeah. But the yeah. FBI doesn't want us to do that. Well, the FBI it, could go away and nobody would miss it. <laughs> nobody would miss them. I, you know, I, I, that, I know for a fact, Elias, because I've had several FBI uh, uh, whistleblowers on my program just in the last couple of weeks, as you well know. Yeah. And there are a lot of really good people in the, in the FBI that are in the rank and file. On yeah. the other hand, the leadership has been handpicked for many, many decades to literally destroy everything that this country stands for and to criminalize uh, behavior and actions that are not criminal behavior actions in a way that uh, creates a false 
impression of where the country is and the problems that we have. And they're doing that in a very, very sophisticated way. As you say, there's a whole uh, a whole psychological operations program out there through high tech, through AI, through all these things to try to skew the perception of what is really going on in the world. And uh, Lavoy Finicum is a case in point because now we saw that that interview with him. Um, Elias, would you mind if we, uh, uh, Thumper, I'd like to see if we can put that uh, rubber bullet uh, video up and uh, see if we can play that because that kind of shows how they set this whole thing up with the full understanding they were going to kill Lavoie Finnegan. They weren't trying to stop him uh, and detain him. They were trying to kill him. It's just that simple. Uh, Elias, would you mind if we go ahead and play that? And that'll give us a pretty good lead in then for the rest of our discussion. Yes, sir. Let's do that. But look at this first, uh, Dan. Uh, okay. Lavoie Pentecom had stopped his truck at the initial road stop and was sitting there waiting for the police to identify themselves and approach him to talk about why they pulled him over. When one of the idiots in the, in the police department, excuse me, state, state police or FBI, they were both in the same cars at that point, one of them shot Lavoie's truck. While he's right. sitting there parked, they wanted to urge him to take off and try to get away. That that really needs to be widely known. They shot him. And there's one of the videos in that Kim video collection that mm -hmm. exposes this. So, okay. Yeah, go ahead and... Uh, yeah, that's true. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't mentioned that. But in fact, he had stopped and there was a vehicle behind him uh, and he expected someone to approach uh, and uh, have some discussion, and ultimately somebody just shot at the truck, and so he took off. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then he gets to the roadblock. Then he gets to the roadblock. Turn him, turn him on. In this video, evidence will be presented that the murder of Lavoie Finnicum was premeditated. More specifically, it will be shown that an FBI agent fired a foam bullet hitting Lavoie in the left side of his chest where he often carried a gun, causing him to reach for the wound. The FBI agent fired this bullet for the purpose of making Lavoie reach in a way that would appear as if he was reaching for a gun, which would then justify the killing of Lavoie. The evidence will also show that these actions were premeditated and that they must have been planned by the FBI organizers of this operation. Red lines have been added to indicate shots fired. All shots were fired either by the FBI or the Oregon State Police. No shots were fired by Lavoie or the occupants of Lavoie's truck. The shot annotations were intended to be consistent with the Tri-County Major Incident Team analysis. However, one additional shot has been included that they did not reveal, and the evidence for this shot will be presented. Originally, Lavoie stopped when the FBI pulled him over. During this time, the FBI fired an unprovoked shot at Ryan Payne, 
who was in Lavoie's truck at the time. As a result of this shot, Lavoie decided to flee in his truck. What about Ammon and those guys? Hey, can't, we can't get around him. I'm going to go get help. Okay. Okay, I'm waiting. I don't have any. I can't even get Joe Rice. Coming up fast. Yeah, they are. Okay, I don't know about numbers. Well, I got numbers, but I can't call because we have no service. Okay. No, mobile network not available. Do you have numbers for people here in town? As Lavoie comes around a blind curve, he sees the roadblock and begins braking. It is important to note that the roadblock is set up around a blind curve with a speed limit of 65 miles per hour, and that there is a significant downhill slope on this curve, and there is a three-foot snowbank blocking the vision of the road ahead. All of these factors make the roadblock difficult to recognize and make it difficult to stop in time. It is very unusual to find conditions such as these to make a maximally deadly roadblock. Had the FBI moved the roadblock further down the road, it would have been easier to spot and easier to stop and much safer. The placement of the roadblock is designed to create a situation where Lavoie crashes into the roadblock, which can justify the killing of Lavoie. As Lavoie approaches the roadblock, notice that three shots are fired at his truck. There is no possible way that these three shots could stop the truck or make the situation safer for anyone, since at this time Lavoie is attempting to slow down as seen by his brake lights. These shots are fired to prevent Lavoie from being able to stop and to provoke a violent confrontation in order to justify killing Lavoie. Hey, um. Okay, they're shooting. Hey, um. Okay, I'm here. Immediately as Lavoie exits the truck with his hands up, he is fired upon twice. His hands remain up. These shots were an attempt to provoke Lavoie to some action that might justify killing him. At this point, Lavoie has been fired upon six times. Every shot fits with a pattern of trying to provoke a situation that will justify killing Lavoie. Although the previous six shots and the dangerous placement of the barricade indicate premeditated murder by themselves, the events in the next few seconds are the focus of this video, and these are the most important events to show that the murder of Lavoie was premeditated. First look at the actions of Lavoie as he leaves the truck. Notice that Lavoie is walking with a steady gait away from the truck. Lavoie keeps his hands up consistently even when two shots are fired, narrowly missing Lavoie. Lavoie is moving away from his truck because he knows he will be killed and he is trying to draw fire away from the other people in the truck. He is walking to the most exposed position. If he intended to fight, he would not do this. Instead, he would have pulled his weapon earlier and used the truck as cover. I have stopped the video at the time of the foam bullet shot. Now watch the change in motion of Lavoie after the foam bullet shot. He looks confused, he limps, he lurches forward, he is spinning around and not walking straight, and his arms come down and go up several times. The character of Lavoie's motion has changed dramatically at this point. Something must have happened to explain this. Now we will examine the actions of this FBI agent who is kneeling in the snow with his gun aimed at Lavoie. For now I will assume that this FBI agent has not taken a shot and show that this leads to absurd conclusions.
This FBI agent is not sighting his gun with the physical sight. He is kneeling and shooting from the hip. Although this makes it much harder to see that he is aiming his gun at Lavoie, this can be verified. This is very unusual since he has had time to prepare. This FBI agent uses cover in an unusual way. This FBI agent has positioned himself so that the black truck is between himself and the video camera. This FBI agent has not used the truck to protect himself from Lavoie. As soon as this FBI agent sees Lavoie reaching, this FBI agent turns away quickly. This is the opposite of what he should do in this situation. Would you turn your back on a man who has already been shot at six times and might be reaching for a gun? This FBI agent didn't think that Lavoie was reaching for a gun, and he bet his life on it. Lavoie has not been disarmed or secured, and this FBI agent turns away at the crucial moment, putting his fellow officers in danger. This FBI agent was waiting for Lavoie to come into view. Within one second of Lavoie coming into his view, he turns and walks away. This makes no sense. Lavoie is now visible. The FBI agent turns away. Here is the same segment at normal speed. Lavoie is now visible. The FBI agent turns away. As this FBI agent turns away, he is crouching, apparently hiding from something, but he is not hiding from Lavoie. His back is fully exposed to Lavoie, and this FBI agent does not seek cover from Lavoie, although cover is easily available behind any of the trucks. While Lavoie is being killed, this FBI agent crouches in front of the white FBI truck. He is still exposed to Lavoie, even though cover is only one step away. Immediately after Lavoie is killed, this FBI agent gets up and aims his gun at Lavoie's truck. Now this FBI agent uses a normal shooting posture. When it is assumed that Lavoie was reaching for a gun, the actions of this FBI agent appear to be insane. Nothing that he has done makes sense. A theory that interprets this FBI agent's actions as insane cannot be correct. We need to look for another explanation. If we assume different motives for this FBI agent, all of these events and more will be easily explained. This FBI agent is armed with foam bullets and his job is to shoot Lavoie in the area where Lavoie carries a gun. The purpose is to get Lavoie to reach for the wound, which will appear on the video as reaching for a gun, and the FBI will be able to justify the killing of Lavoie. This FBI agent must get his shot quickly 
and he must get away quickly without being noticed on the video. This FBI agent cannot allow this shot to be detected because it would prove that the killing of Lavoie was intentional and premeditated. It is the intent from the beginning for the FBI to release the video as justification for the killing of Lavoie, and this FBI agent knows this. Although this theory is simple, it predicts that many unusual events will be found. The FBI agent should shoot early and run away. The FBI agent should be more afraid of the camera than of Lavoie. It predicts the location of a foam bullet injury on Lavoie to be near where he normally carries a gun. It even predicts what the FBI story will be. Because of the unusual nature of these predictions, if these things are found, it will be strong evidence for the theory. In addition, many events that up to now have had no explanation at all from any theory will be shown to have an explanation from this foam bullet theory. This FBI agent is hiding the fact that he is shooting. He is shooting from the hip, probably using a laser sight. This FBI agent is using the truck as cover to hide from the camera. He is not using the truck as cover from Lavoie. The fact that the truck fails to hide him from the camera is only due to the high angle of the camera at this instant, defeating his attempt to hide. This FBI agent shoots as soon as Lavoie is visible to him. He needs to get his shot as soon as possible. Lavoie becomes visible now. The FBI shoots now. The camera zoom is at the exact time when Lavoie comes into the view of the FBI agent. Did the camera operator know the plan and coordinate the timing of the zoom? Zooming at this exact time makes the foam bullet shot out of focus, but it enhances the vision of Lavoie reaching. If this is a coincidence, then it is a precisely timed and well-planned coincidence. Lavoie becomes visible now. The FBI shoots now. Here is the same segment at normal speed. Stay down, stay down, stay down. There is a moment of motionlessness followed by a rapid relaxation of his body indicating that this FBI agent has just taken a shot. Stay down, stay down, stay down, stay down. Stay down. Lavoie reaches for the area where he has been shot. Lavoie reaches with both hands equally as if reaching for a wound, not with one hand as if reaching for a gun. Stay down. Stay down. Lavoie reaches down and then immediately puts his hands back up, consistent with fighting the involuntary response to reach for the wound but not consistent with reaching for a gun. After the shot, Lavoie suddenly develops a very distinct limp as if his left leg or possibly the left side of his body is injured. Lavoie is clearly injured, but not as severely as one would expect from a real bullet, possibly indicating that a foam bullet was used. Each time that Lavoie tries to lift and move his left leg, he also reaches down. This indicates that the wound may be in his torso rather than his leg, 
and also that each reach is due to the wound from the initial foam bullet. If the injury is near where Lavoie carries a gun, it would be in the rib cage on his left side. This would make it very hard to hold up his hands, especially when lifting and moving his left leg. This matches the motion that we see from Lavoie. The FBI knows that it is very unlikely that anything would be found in the autopsy to reveal this wound. First of all, since Lavoie dies within seconds of this shot, bruising would not have time to form since his heart stops seconds later. Second, there is a lot of damage to the torso from real bullets, which could hide the superficial wound of a foam bullet. Now we will look at the autopsy report. This superficial abrasion is about the size of a bullet and is listed under number two gunshot wound of the neck and upper chest. The abrasion is near the gunshot exit, but it is not explained by the gunshot exit wound. This seems consistent with the type of injury expected from the foam bullet. The location of this wound also matches where Lavoie carries his gun. This diagram shows the approximate position of the gunshot exit wound as well as the wound that I am interpreting as the foam bullet abrasion. The FBI special agent in charge for Oregon FBI will show us where Lavoie carries his gun. On multiple occasions, Mr. Finnicum was observed wearing a, a shoulder holster on the left side where he carried a sidearm. The location and character of the wound in the autopsy and the location where Lavoie carries his gun are an exact match to the foam bullet theory. Lavoie's speech is disrupted during the shot. The shot occurs in the place that is labeled as inaudible in the audio transcript, according to the Deschutes County Sheriff's Office, although they do not list a shot there. Lavoie's speech after the shot is not as clear as before the shot. Go ahead and shoot me! Stand! Stand! Stay down, stay down, stay down. Stay down. Stay down. Damn it. Are they shooting him? Did I shoot him? You asshole. The shot can be clearly heard on the video. The sound is muffled because of its position behind the truck. Because of this, the sound has no direct path to the truck cab where the sound is being recorded and is reflected off the trees and landscape. Stay down. Stay down. Stay down. Stay down. This is the officer's statements from the major incident team report. Officer Force states that he can tell a less lethal shot by its sound. Here I will compare the sound of the foam bullet shot to Lavoie with the sound of shots using lethal bullets. Here is the foam bullet shot to Lavoie. Here are several shots using lethal bullets. Now we will compare the sound of the foam bullet shot to Lavoie with other less lethal shots. The less lethal shots also have the sound of the bullet hitting the truck. Try to recognize the underlying sound of the shot. 
Here is the foam bullet shot to Lavoie. Stay down. Here are the less lethal shots. The sound of the shot to Lavoie is more consistent with the sound of less lethal shots. We now have confirmed that the foam bullet shot is heard on the video and that the sound is consistent with the less lethal shot. This is all completely consistent with the foam bullet theory. Victoria screams immediately after the shot. This indicates that Victoria saw Lavoie being shot. Before Victoria screams, Shauna says, stay down. After Victoria screams, Shauna again says, stay down. This indicates that Victoria was not staying down at this time and is further evidence that Victoria witnessed this shot. Stay down, stay down, stay down, stay down. Victoria claims that she watched Lavoie get shot while walking with his hands in the air. She clearly describes the first shot as being separate from the three-shot sequence that killed Lavoie. Her description of this shot is consistent with the video and consistent with the foam bullet theory. They shot him like right there because he was just walking with his hands in the air and I saw it. I swear to God. He was just walking with his hands in the air and they shot him. And they shot him dead and then after he was down on the ground, they shot him three more times. Are they shooting him? The FBI agent turns away immediately after the shot. Because of the rapidness of this action, he must have planned his exit before taking the shot. Stay down. Stay down. Stay down. Stay down. This FBI agent turns away as soon as Lavoie begins to reach. His mission has been accomplished. Now he needs to make his escape. The FBI agent turning away at this time is an extreme action that is consistent with the foam bullet theory but strongly contradicts the theory of Lavoie reaching for a gun. The FBI agent is not leaving his post, since his job was not to disarm and secure Lavoie, but to get Lavoie to reach for his wound. His job is now to get away so that his shot will not be discovered. The FBI agent's gun hand remains pointed at Lavoie even as he is beginning to turn. This indicates that a shot has just been taken. His gun hand remains tensed longer because it must absorb the gun recoil. Had he not just taken a shot, his gun hand would have moved with his body as he turned. This FBI agent is trying to hide, but not from Lavoie. He is trying to avoid being noticed on the video. While Lavoie is being killed, he crouches low in front of the truck, making himself nearly invisible to the camera. While Lavoie is being killed, this FBI agent is trying not to be seen. He wants the focus to be on the officers making the kill shot. Immediately after Lavoie has been shot, this FBI agent gets up out of hiding. This FBI agent now aims his gun in the normal way and is no longer hiding his shot. He acts as if he never had interaction with Lavoie.
After this FBI agent points his gun at Lavoie's white truck, less lethal rounds can be heard hitting the truck near where he is aiming. According to the major incident team, only less lethal rounds were fired at Lavoie's truck at this time. This is consistent with this FBI agent being armed with foam bullets. Damn it. Are they shooting him? Did they shoot him? You asshole. In the following video clip, Sheriff Nelson will present the findings of the major incident team. I have also inserted my own comments. When you see this footage in real time, you will see that Mr. Finnicum rapidly gets out of his truck. There was no mention of the two shots that were fired at Lavoie as he got out of the truck. He is commanded to get on the ground. He does not comply with commands and get on the ground and continues moving away from his truck. He is commanded a second time to get on the ground. Again, he does not comply and continues moving away. The video has been stopped just a few frames before Lavoie is shot with a foam bullet. He reaches across his body with his right hand into his jacket towards the area this is not even an accurate description of the events in the video. Lavoie is clearly reaching with both hands. Saying that he is reaching across his body with his right hand is misleading. Where his gun was found. The Oregon State Police do not shoot. He lifts his hands. He looks down at his jacket and again reaches across his body with his right hand into his jacket towards the area where his gun was found. If Lavoie was reaching for a gun, he should have a gun in his hand after the first reach. There is no reason for him to fail at this task. There is no reason to look down, no reason to reach more than once, and no reason to put his hands up between reaches. These events are not consistent with reaching for a gun. The Oregon State Police do not shoot. It is important to note that our investigation has determined that at this point, Mr. Finnicum has not been shot with any lethal rounds or less lethal rounds. If Lavoie has not been shot with any lethal or less lethal rounds, then there is nothing to prevent Lavoie from successfully grabbing his gun. If the major incident team claims that Lavoie was actually reaching for a gun, they need to explain what prevented him from doing it successfully after three tries. They have presented a case for why the officers may have mistakenly thought Lavoie was reaching for a gun, but when they tried to claim that Lavoie actually was reaching for a gun, their reasoning fails. In order to maintain the theory of Lavoie reaching for a gun, they have had to ignore most of the evidence or pretend that it is not relevant and focus only on the evidence that was engineered, primarily Lavoie reaching down. They must also gloss over the details of the reaching event because when you look at them too closely, they are not consistent with Lavoie reaching for a gun. This is a summary of the evidence that was presented. Three theories are compared. First, the theory that Lavoie reached for a gun. Second, the foam bullet theory, but assuming that it was not premeditated and that the FBI agent made the decision to fire as the situation developed. Third, the foam bullet theory that has been presented in which the murder of Lavoie was premeditated. A plus sign is placed in the table if the evidence is explained by the theory. A minus sign is placed in the table if the evidence contradicts the theory. If a spot in the table is blank, this means that the evidence is not explained by the theory. 
To score each theory, one is added for each plus sign and one is subtracted for each minus sign. The total score for each theory is shown here. The theory that Lavoie reached for a gun has a negative score. This is because more evidence contradicts it than supports it. The foam bullet theory explains all of the evidence. If we remove the premeditated part of the foam bullet theory, the theory falls apart and explains less than half of the evidence. This shows that to explain all of the evidence, the murder of Lavoie must have been premeditated. It is clear that this analysis strongly supports the foam bullet theory and strongly supports the conclusion that these actions were premeditated. Because the actions of the FBI agent are radically inconsistent with normal behavior and normal procedures, there is no way to avoid the conclusion that these actions were premeditated. Although the actions of only one FBI agent have been analyzed, the theory requires that he was not acting alone. The planners of this operation are implicated even more because of the numerous coordinated actions necessary to create this situation. The evidence is clear and the conclusion is certain. The murder of Lavoie Finicum by the FBI was premeditated. Elias, uh, let's, um, first of all, uh, talk, let's talk about the, uh, the firearm that was found on uh, Lavoie Finnegan. Um, I, my understanding is that there was not a firearm found on Lavoie Finnegan, and then it was back at uh, Malheur. Am I wrong with that? Well, you know, it's real hard to prove that. However, we do know, thanks to um, Readout News, Sherry Diwali over in Idaho, we know that there were 15 damned government informants and employees at the Mallow Refuge, outnumbering the cowboys who were holding up there. Those those one of them uh, was driving the vehicle behind the boy's truck. And we know that they left the boy's body in the snow overnight. Well, they had plenty of time to call the radio back to the uh, to, to the uh, uh, <laughs> I can't think. Malheur. Uh, refuge. Uh -huh. Right. They could call back to Mallier and have one of their informants bring his gun up there and put it in his pocket. There is another there is another video about this in this group of 10 videos, which shows that when they put the gun in his pocket after they killed him, they put it in backwards in a way he would have never carried the gun there. Okay. That's a very major point. But considering everything else that these 10 videos demonstrate, uh, it is perfectly consistent that the FBI put that gun in his pocket. Now, we cannot prove that. I cannot prove that. But in light of all the other knowledge that we can prove, even the FBI's film footage, we we have every reason to suspect 
uh, male play by the FBI in setting up his murder to look justified. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> Dan, it's, it's absolutely remarkable that Governor Brown had told the FBI and the uh, Oregon State Police not to let these people from the Mallard Wildlife Refuge get out of that county. So the FBI roadblock was right before the county line. We do know that we know a lot of information now that didn't manage to get into the news media for some reason. But Leroy got out of the truck when it bogged down in the snow. He got out of his truck with both hands in the air and was immediately shot at with two shots by the FBI, which, you know, the, uh, uh, as they said in that video, the, they, they weren't mentioned. He had his hands in the air, and he was walking away as quickly as he could in deep snow. The reason he was doing that was because he had passengers in that truck. Right. He wanted to protect by drawing the fire away from the truck. And so he was trying to lead them to aim at him instead of uh, uh, the, the passengers in the truck, two of which were women. And uh, you know Shauna Cox, uh, mm -hmm. I talked her too. Uh, uh, Dan, it's, it's something that really the, the wide public perception needs to understand this and they need to know about it. And I'm hoping that people will go to Rumble and look at these videos carefully Examine all of them, and they. I, I think that speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. I have been very, very concerned about why the FBI is interested in, in trying to direct the narrative about all this. They, they just cannot admit, will not admit that this whole thing was a pre-planned assassination. The roadblock was begun the day before because they knew that they knew that the boy and both both the Bundy brothers and a couple of other guys were going to go up to the next county where the sheriff was waiting to receive them and speak to a crowd of about 400 people. And I have actually talked with one of the women that was in that audience waiting for the boy to get there. And the sheriff was friendly to the to the Patriots. Mm -hmm. So Governor Brown did not want that to happen. She gave the 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 marching orders to the Oregon State Police. When when the boy's truck and the Jeep behind him passed the little intersection that was concealing because of the trees, it was concealing more than six government enforcement cars carrying both FBI and Oregon State Police, all of which pulled out to pursue the two vehicles and pulled them over for a traffic stop with no warrant, with no law being broken or anything. 
the one bullet they shot at LaVoy's truck after he stopped was to was to provoke him to go ahead and escape, to drive away, knowing that there was a roadblock up ahead around a fairly uh, blind curve. And the squad cars that was chasing the boy after he left, that car was increasing speed to push the boy to faster speeds so that when he did see the roadblock, he couldn't stop but to avoid Killing anybody in a wreck, he, he plowed into the snowbank and jumped out with his hands in the air and was immediately shot at twice. One of the bullets went through the roof and hit, uh, I think it was uh, Ryan Payne, excuse me, Ryan Bundy, in the shoulders. And uh, that's another old story in itself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But all the evidence ends up. This, this, was, and the, this was what... Governor Brown thought was a good solution to end this quote-unquote problem where the Cowboys actually had a valid argument. You know, for one thing, they didn't just capture that wildlife refuge. There was nobody working there during that time of the year because the wildlife wasn't there that time of the year. It was closed. There's a lot of interesting stuff it's, it's like, you know, Bundy, Bundy Ranch. Uh, I'd like to point out one thing about Bundy Ranch why, uh, to change the subject just a bit. Bundy Ranch was not uh, exactly portrayed in the media the way I'd like to see it. Uh, what they... What a lot of people think is that the cowboys and the militiamen who were guarding the Bundy's home actually scared the BLM to leave. But that is not the case. The BLM was there. We have voice recordings from body camps worn by the SWAT team members who were joking about which cowboy to shoot first. Uh, should I shoot that guy's dog over there and this kind of stuff and cussing? Uh, the, what caused the BLM to back away and leave that day, that would have been uh, April the 12th, what caused that was Sheriff Gillespie. He saw that the, the BLM and their hired hit squad people were going to start killing cowboys and ranchers and he didn't want another Waco in his county and the sheriff under his due authority as the highest law enforcement officer in that county told the BLM to get their butts out of there and he ran them all <clears throat> it wasn't that they were afraid to have a battle with with the cowboys not at all it was the sheriff ordering them out of his county. And that, to Sheriff Mack's good credit, only validates what Mack has been preaching for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Elias, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, Lavoie carrying a weapon. Um, they even referenced that he normally carried, uh, if he did carry a weapon, it was in a shoulder holster, 
uh, on the left side of his body. Okay. Uh, he did not have, well, I can tell you, I mean, I do conceal carry from time to time. And uh, if you're used to carrying in a holster, uh, you're sure not going to just stick a gun backwards into your pocket. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's a good point, Dan. Yes. Well, um, Thumper, I, <laughs> I, you're you're a good case in point too because Thumper shoots a lot, and he's uh, uh, he's been involved in uh, marksmanship training and things like that. Can you imagine, uh, Thumper, that if you were a, a guy uh, packing iron and you were ready to fight back against somebody, uh, that you would be uh, carrying something in your pocket rather than uh, in a location where you could access it quickly? Well, first off, you know, it's it's wintertime. He's heavily, uh, you know, uh, covered in, uh, you know, heavy coats, wintertime coats and things like that. Uh, uh, and the fact, you know, if they did use some kind of a non-lethal round on him, uh, the effect of that would have been uh, a little less than, you know, summer wear, obviously. Right. Um, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, you, you just watch the whole thing. I remember when it first happened. I watched some of the first video that came out after it uh, after it happened, and uh, you know, it, it's kind of surprising. Uh, the video has gotten a little hazier since the first time I I saw it. I think, uh, but uh, uh, when you uh, take into uh, account this guy's actions and the fact that you know, uh, Lavoy made no attempt to you know. Uh, take a defensive position behind the truck. You know, he right. walked out into, a, you know, totally, you know, exposing himself. With his uh, hands in the air. With yeah. his hands in the air. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I, I totally, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're piecing together of the, of the evidence uh, and reasonably, uh, you know, sussing it out. Um yeah, it, it it makes perfect sense in that, and uh, um, you know, it, it just uh, you know the fact that that shot happens as soon as he clears that guy's uh, mm -hmm. uh, shot, and the fact that uh, uh, you know if he's shooting from down low, he uh, he has a, a you know a like a, a red dot sight uh, at close range on a on a pistol. Uh, where he could, you know, he he get that shot on, mm -hmm. uh, no problem, resting it like he like is described, you know, possibly on his knee or something like that, from a pistol at, uh, you know, at that range, easy, easy, mm -hmm. uh, very easy to do, yeah. um, and uh, you know, and if he's trained at that, obviously, this, you know, it would uh, it would appear that this guy, uh, the FBI agent who fired the non lethal round uh is probably trained in just doing just that you know he's probably been uh uh trained in that and it would be my guess uh you know he didn't again you know you're going to turn your back on somebody you just fired a lethal or a non-lethal round at excuse me uh you know um that's that's just uh 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it just he, makes no sense. No, he yeah he was he was uh, he he was the uh, what what they call it. Uh, um, he he was the guy that started the whole thing. You know, he he was the instigator. Mm-hmm. His yeah. job was to you know set the stage. Well, and um, Elias, tell us how many rounds were fired into that truck and how long after Lavoie was dead, face down on the ground. Uh, sure, Dan. As Lavoie pulled around that curve and saw the roadblock, three shots from law enforcement went into his truck. So they were already shooting at him. They had shot once while he was caught. So the three shots that they fired into his truck dead on as he was approaching the roadblock were the, made a total of four. As soon as he jumped out of the truck to draw fire away from his passengers, a, a very valiant move, by the way, uh, he, he got hit with two, oh, excuse me, they shot at him two more times. That brings the total to, what, six. Then the foam bullet shot would, if you want to count that as a shot, that would be number seven. And then the three shots they fired into his body as he went down. So there was a lot of shooting there. Nobody in the truck shot once. Lavoy never shot once. He never even had a gun in his hand. And all of this was totally, totally unnecessary, except that Governor Brown, the Clinton Foundation's deal with a Russian company up in Canada, was on the line and at stake. And something else that I've talked to the Bundys about, the things were found when the Cowboys took over the Matter of Wildlife Refuge. Paperwork was found there indicating that there was an interest from outside that that facility by power players about the uranium. On that. We, did, we did a program on that uh, just uh, a, a week and a half or two. Well, now it's been about two weeks ago about uranium one. Uh, and and that's what you're talking about. I also had a uh, have a friend who worked with BLM. He was uh, a, a BLM employee that gave me a map that showed that the BLM and this is their map. It isn't a map that was um, made up by somebody. It came from the hands of a BLM employee to me directly. And it showed that the Hammond Ranch was no longer Hammond Ranch, that it was uh, going to be part of that uh, BLM land. It and, and this was before Mallier. This was, I mean, obviously they had planned on taking the Hammonds out of the picture. That's why the so-called phony fire thing that they ended up uh, uh, sending uh, the Hammonds off to prison. And they had planned on taking all that land, and that is, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. That's part of the Uranium One uh, deal that uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton had uh, worked out with the Russians. 
Yes, indeed. There, you know, all you got to do is start looking into the family background of Governor Brown, and then you look looking into the Clinton Foundation's activities. Uh, you know, the, this whole thing, the, the Cowboys occupying Malibu were a large ball in their brady. They just, they had to get rid of these guys. They had to stop that standoff. And it's a cover-up. But as time goes by, more comes out. And we, I feel very confident in my assessment that this had more to do than just trying to arrest a guy who didn't ever have a criminal record, not even a speeding ticket in his life. Mm-hmm. and wanted to kill him. So, well, and he was bringing up something that Elias, that uh, you mentioned equal footing doctrine, but he was bringing up something that, um, you know, I've had these conversations with a number of people, inclu- including Ken Ivory, who started uh, uh, the, the uh, organization, um, uh, oh crap! I'm trying to think of it now. The the name yeah, of I it am too. I know in in Utah, but uh, the Equal Footing Doctrine said that all states entering the union after the initial thirteen colonies must un- enter into the union under the very same conditions and circumstances as the original thirteen. In other words, uh, the the same. Uh, the the uh, federal government not owning land in excess of forts and docks and postal roads uh, was the same in states after the original 13 colonies as it was before. Uh, and, and so there's a lot to this, and it really goes back to the ownership of so-called federal lands. They've been taking lands back ever since FDR, ever since, actually, uh, since Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt. I'm sorry. I, I a Freudian slip. They were both a couple of pinkos. Uh, but uh, Teddy Roosevelt was the original pinko, and he started to work in the direction of taking federal land back uh, even prior to FDR. You know, Dan, uh... I once was down in Virginia City at a rally where you were, and you introduced me there to Montana Senator Jennifer Fielder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That fine woman, and there's a video on my channel about her speech at a rally later. That woman investigated uh, all of this and made a report to the White House causing President Trump to pardon the Hammonds. Mm-hmm. They were pardoned by a presidential pardon. The, the fire that caused, gave the uh, BLM an excuse to torment this family, they were doing a lawful burn on their property. Right. Because of the winds, it blew over the federal line into quote-unquote federal property and burned a few acres there but didn't do anything except help refresh that terrain 
for the same way that they they were doing on their property. It's very common to have controlled burns mm-hmm. on your property out west when you're dealing on a lot of, a lot of land. So and and Elias, uh, what you're talking about, I believe they it burned a total of twelve acres of BLM land that was nothing but sagebrush. <laughs> exactly. Back again to the Constitution, Dan. The federal government's ability and authorization to own land within the states is clearly laid out in Article One, Section Eight. It's just laid out there. The the fact that the BLM claims ownership of 80% of the state of Nevada is staggering. But another researcher went to the uh, the BLM's website and found that on on the BLM's website found that there is over $150 billion worth of mineral resources on the lands of all these western states including Alaska. So they here, here's why they have a big interest in the federal ownership of so much of those western states. When the US government, the Federal Reserve System, wants to encourage other nations to buy our debt. They can use the land under the land, the mineral content, as collateral for, say, China buying some of our national debt. Oh, well, we can guarantee the value because we have all this wealth. But if the states own that land, then the federal government can't use it for collateral. Right? I mean, exactly. And there's a, a video, a 2008 video of Hillary Clinton in Beijing, China, guaranteeing the Chinese that uh, if they buy U.S. debt, that they would have, the United States would have all this public land that could easily cover that debt. Oh, you need to send me that one. I mean, I've missed that one. I'd love to collect it. <laughs> I I hope it's still up there. Uh, go look for it, but I hope it's still up there. I should have kept it on a, a, a separate hard drive, but I didn't. You know, but I, I know there are other people that have seen that same video, um, I, and it was uh, 2008, I believe. That was uh, a little bit before I was as active in downloading as I have been in recent years. But I have a 2T external hard drive that I have copied, duplicated, but it is packed with videos, many of which no longer exist on the Alberta's internet. I mean, feature that. But I like saving evidence. And, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm only a couple of years away from turning 80. And I've nothing better to do than to ask questions about the plight and fate of the direction of our country, mm-hmm. the founding up to where it's at right now, where, in effect, what we are doing, using our military to police the world, keep the trade lanes open for the corporate dynasty, all of that activity, 
what what the Pax Americana idiots like uh, Dick Cheney or Paul Wolfowitz and they, that gang over to PNAC, what they think they're trying to ex- establish the American Empire. In reality, what they're doing is being a police force and management agency for the damn Rothschild banking dynasty. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that takes us right back into this new world order. And I have to I have to say something. In 2009, Oath Keepers was out of the chute and running. We were, we were growing like crazy. And the ADL decided to pick on me a little bit with a nationally published article accusing me of being dumb enough and, and conspiratorially minded enough to literally think that Americans' government had been kidnapped and replaced by an imposter government and that that imposter government was trying to take America into this one-world government, new world order. And now, you know, years after the ADL published that, anybody can see the recorded history between then and now shows our government is not representative of the people. It is a manipulator of the perception of the people for the purpose of complicity and behavior control that would allow these bastards to take our country down from within and assimilate it into this one world government that will be managed by the DIS. It's just staggering to, to contemplate something on that big a scale. However, the history, the facts, the information all adds up to just that. And I, I would love for the ADL to call me up Miss Chat sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, Morris D is a uh, confirmed communist, the fact that the FBI and our uh, national law enforcement agencies use the uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center as a uh, sounding board and as the, uh, I guess I would call it the, the matrix to define who in fact is a domestic terrorist and who isn't, uh, is beyond conscience. How in the world could our so-called law enforcement go to a communist organization to determine who is a domestic terrorist? <laughs> it is ironic, and it is it is actually laughable that they still believe they can pull this off. Oh, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. And, you know, we were talking about this the other day, the fact that— uh, um, well, and incidentally, the American Lands Council is the organization that uh, <laughs> was, was started by uh, 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 Ken Ivory, and Amen. actually Jennifer Fielder was the president of that organization for uh, some time as well. So, yeah, she's um, a yeah, she she, and now she's uh, working on some other issues that are equally important, but we'll have to get into that in another program. But, um, you know, Elias, when we talk about Lavoie Finicum, 
it's important that we don't forget that this stuff has been going on for a very long time. President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was killed in a very, uh, very sinister and very suspect way, and it was covered up as well. All these things have been covered up, and they've been covered up. We have to give up on the idea that there's a a, uh, a left-right battle. Uh, no, we have a uniparty system that is designed to drive us into a one-world government. It is lousy with communists. It's also lousy with people who think that they're uh, uh, conservatives that are, in fact, uh, diehard socialists as well. It is anti-constitutional in its nature, and that's what we're controlled with now in our government. And the only way we're going to ever get our country back is if people wake up and say, this is so much worse than we ever thought. We need to stand up and speak out. And when we've got 20 million people doing that, we get our country back. It's just that simple. Amen, brother. I, I will tell you this. I was in a meeting with several women last week, this past Thursday, who are of the same mindset. And I referred to them to the back cover of my book, where I express the bottom of that back, back cover, the fact that unity is the last word in community. And by unifying our good neighbors, we can create a community. <clears throat> I am in touch with law enforcement around the country because of my years with Oath Keepers as their editor. And I know a wonderful program in Orange County, New York, where a, a former Oath Keepers board member who no longer uses the name Oath Keepers has organized this county. He has more than 15 different pastors with their church congregations settling into this brotherhood of unity because as Americans, as constitutionalists, as morally upright, sensitive, sensitive just wonderful, average American people. And this man is doing yeoman's work, man. Uh, and I'm wanting to see this all over the country because it all starts first in the mind of the individual. When the mind of the individual is focused on and pays attention to the principle of being a good person and then being a good family member and then being a good member of a local community, that is what all of this socialist BS is trying to eradicate, and that is obviously our finest course of action as Americans trying to save our country. We will, we will prevail because humankind has a conscience. As diverse as our population is, we still value the, the moral platforms that promoted our Constitution in the minds of the founders. And I, so I'm seeing a lot of hope, especially since the Anheuser-Busch and Target uh, blowback. 
<laughs> go woke and go broke, as they're saying. Uh, I, I get a lot of joy in seeing the power in we, the people, who actually, contrary to what the FBI might ever say, we, the people, own our damned government, and we will clean it up. And we can do it one person, one neighborhood, one community at a time, spread across this nation. It's a wonderful country once we get it back. We've got to get it back. And, um, you know, I've, I've had uh, different people uh, remark about the fact that uh, uh, my show opener uh, is, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the song that it is, uh, and that uh, I talk about America, or I don't, but obviously uh, Lee Greenwood does talk about uh, America we, because we know it's free. We don't know that anymore, but the fact is, is we want that to be the case. And it's important that Americans stand up and make that happen because cowardice is no excuse for losing our country and having our, our children and our grandchildren uh, live in slavery. Uh, if, if we're fearful, then, um, well, we've got a lot to be worried about besides uh, just a few internationalists trying to take over our country. I'll, I'll promote my book a little bit more there. But that, yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah, let's talk about... In my book. Uh, we the people really, we, we we are collective, but we are collective of individuals. Personal self-awareness is one of the marks of achieving maturity as we grow out of childhood into manhood or womanhood uh, into maturity. Personal responsibility is, is a huge factor. We begin by organizing the content of our mentality, monitoring our thoughts, getting rid of fear thoughts, and replacing those fear thoughts with loving thoughts, extend love outward from our own selves, which we have individually learned to love ourselves. We extend that love that we've created in our own minds outward to our communities and the communities extend their their vision to the other communities, and we become united again as United States. And the states are filled with people of moral compass, uh, based on individual individuality. So I, I just you know I'm, I'm I have been a little bit less enthusiastic in recent years until this year, I'm seeing so many positive signs that there is a great awakening. And I even mentioned it in my book about the big new Brzezinski wrote a book called Strategic Vision, and he was addressing his concerns to the globalists and the Rockefellers and their, their ilk, saying, because of this worldwide waking up that's going on, thanks to the internet, the leaders, the controllers, the world powers are having to face now 
the probability or the possibility that insurrection amongst the populations could deter their planes. And uh, even Brzezinski thought he should warn the people, the leaders, the globalists, the, the rulers. But all of those political people, rulers, leaders, they are all statist-minded people instead of focusing on being enlightened individuals with a moral conscience. They're more, more interested in manipulating power sources and all of that. So I, I look at all of them, the whole political mess, the whole governmental mess, it's all based on a status perspective in one's heart and soul. And that can be cleaned up by learning to love oneself, uh, find out what is in that conscience, where that conscience came from, how the soul influences that conscience and thereby influences the mind. Once a person goes looking within, one begins to see the source of our salvation, which is the great spirit of creation itself. It comes down through the soul, into the psyche, and we project it outward into our communities. There's where our salvation is for American nation. Uh, so I think there's hope. I'm happy. And even if the FBI doesn't like you and I sitting here talking the way we do, uh, at my age, a life sentence in jail is not much of a dare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you're right about that, Elias. But uh, tell her, <laughs> I feel the same way. I Frankly, I have no fear. As long as... Uh, my Lord and Savior, I know that I'm trying to do the right thing and that he knows that I'm trying to do the right thing. Uh, I have no fear. But uh, assuming that they can do something to this body, they cannot have my soul. And you feel exactly the same way about your soul. So, amen, brother. Yeah, amen. Hey, listen, talk about your book. We're out of time. I need to turn the program over to 80s Aaron. Uh, she's going to be stepping in today for uh, Patrick Howley on the campaign show. But tell our viewers and listeners about your book and how they can get it. Well, it's, it's you know, I'm sorry I don't have a card to hold up to the camera, which, as you notice, I have removed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and let me apologize to your audience for my uh ignorance about high-tech stuff. And, I, you know, the last time I was on your show, we had a great show, and I did yeah. not have this problem, but I don't know what I did right. So, anyway. <laughs> we'll work on it together. Uh, no problem. I have plenty of those problems myself. But talk about your book. Okay, the, title of the, book. Mm -hmm. the book is titled Oath Keepers Targeted Red. And it's written by my legal name, Franklin Shook. To find the book on Amazon, all you go, you go to Amazon, type into their search bar, Targeted Red Franklin Shook, and that's spelled S-H-O-O-K, and that should bring it up. It's 588 pages packed with hidden history, things that 
the deep state does not want us to know about. It's becoming a very controversial book and also becoming a popular book. And it's written like a novel with characters. I've created a couple of false characters there to enhance a storyline that develops uh, throughout the book and leads to a psychological epiphany for a Washington, D.C. journalist who is out in Montana trying to interview old Elias to do a hit piece on Oath Keepers. It's kind of, there's a lot of good humor in it. There's some of my poetry in it. it. There's adventure in it. There's scenery in it. There's all kinds of things and good people, including a picture of yourself is in my book. And thank you for not suing me. At any rate, Targeted Red, Franklin Shook, the four words to type into Amazon to see the book. Click on the cover and you can read the introduction and the first few pages. And you scroll down that far enough, you can read the back cover of the book too. But highly recommend it to people. Uh, I'm so pleased that the book was uh, given to me by something bigger than me. And I just humbly <laughs> sat there for over a year and wrote the dog on thing. But well, it's it's extremely well footnoted, um, and that's a, one of the really good things about it. It's not written like that, but uh, you you uh, give sources for everything that you say in that book, and uh, if people will check it out, you will learn a lot of American history that you didn't get in school. So. Uh, <laughs> For, with that said, Elias, thank you for being a guest today, and uh, let's keep Lavoy Finnegan's uh, case in mind because, believe me, folks, this is nothing new. January 6th, Lavoy Finnegan, Randy and Vicki Weaver, uh, the Branch Davidians, you can go back through history and see where government has been part of the ills that we're dealing with today. This isn't something new. This is something very old, and it's damn sure time that we put an end to it. And the best way to put an end to it is expose the liars and the thieves that have taken over our system. And America, stand up on your two God-given legs and act like uh, heroes instead of the sheep that you've become. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee across the plains of Texas oh from sea to shining sea from Detroit down to Houston Stand and say, oh, and I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the man.